0: And as you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up. We'll be in Luke chapter 5 today, Luke chapter 5. Let me ask you this question. Where is the most interesting place that you traveled this summer? Anybody have any place interesting that you went this summer? Go ahead and shout out the location. What was that? Porta Vararta. And why were you there? Your honeymoon. All right. Congratulations there. Colorado over here, Tennessee, Tennessee. Seattle. Seattle, Iowa, any place else, Motley Michigan. Motley, Michigan, all right. Well, back in July, I strapped our four kids in the car along with Stacey, well, I didn't strap her in the car, well I guess she did wear a street belt, but anyway, we uh, we headed up to Rio Dosa, New Mexico, there to see Gigi and Grandy's house there in the mountains. And so if you've ever driven from here to uh, Rio Dosa, New Mexico, it's kind of like driving on Mars. There's just nothing there. And after a few hours into the trip, you find yourself literally out in the middle of nowhere. The, the cities are named Post or Brown Field. I mean, that was really creative. What should we name this place? Well, it's so hot, everything's dead. Why don't we name it Brownfield? That sounds good, yeah. And then you have bla- uh, planes, and then and then eventually you get to Roswell, New Mexico, and everywhere in Roswell, New Mexico, they have pictures of aliens, and then it's like you really are driving on Mars. Uh, but surprisingly, we were making pretty good time. Even with a, a five-month-old, we were doing pretty good. And, and all of a sudden, we just stopped. We came up over this hill our journey was interrupted, we were just stopped, and we weren't going anywhere for about 30 minutes, and my kids learned a lesson in road rage. Now, not from me, I was good, but other people were, were getting mad, they were honking, they were getting out of their car, they were upset because their journey had been interrupted, and, and they were they were content with where they were going, and suddenly they got furious. I'm amazed at how quickly life moves, particularly during those early years, those first Thirty years you're born and then you double your weight, you grow teeth, uh, you start crawling and walking and talking, and then before you know it, you're going off to kindergarten and you're in your school years and you're getting taller and smarter and and uh, you have this natural enthusiasm during those elementary years. I love being around grade school kids at Christmas because when they open a present there's just this natural enthusiasm that they have at that point in life, and, and then they get to high school, and now they're taller than mom and dad, and they start having career choices. You know, during those high school years, they have career day. It's like all these different options are put before them, and they can be anything they want to be. Just just pick a pick a direction and go that way, and they get their driver's license and they start deciding uh, where they're going to college or if they're going to go to the military and then maybe they have their first romance and then they go into those young adult years and you move out from mom and dad's house and you start a career and you fall in love, you get married, you start having a real job where you're making a little bit of money and then you're able to buy a house and then you have a child and then you have two children, three, hey, why not four? And before you know it, you're you're looking around and you're just living the dream. Life is moving fast, and then there's this stage where things just start to slow down. Instead of having a lot of choices in front of you, you start living with the choices that you've made. Instead of being the up-and-comer, you start being the over-and-outer, and and you start looking around the room and realizing, you know what, Uh, I'm not the youngest person in the room. And somewhere in the course of life, It starts to happen. For a lot of people, it's at this middle stage that I'm describing here, but for others, maybe it even happens earlier. You quit dreaming. You quit exploring. You quit growing. You quit pushing your comfort zones. and Instead, what you do is you start settling into a a nice routine, and you start tolerating things that you could change. And you begin wrapping yourself up in the boundaries, the boundaries that define your life. But what would you do if God one day interrupted your life? What would you do if God one day said, quit tolerating what needs to be changed? Quit sitting still. Quit just trying to be content and start growing again, get beyond yourself and become a giver. Do you think if God were to interrupt your life that you would follow God, or do you think you would just settle for what you have? Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. Now, Jesus is out by this lake. It's more often called the Sea of Galilee. We actually have some pictures of the Sea of Galilee here for you today. It's a large, beautiful lake surrounded by a hilly area. This would be a replica of what an ancient fishing boat might have looked like in Jesus' day. And so no doubt on that lake there would be quite a few Of those boats, I think we have a uh, another picture here. Kind of gives you a little bit more of an idea of what the topography is like. And Jesus spent a lot of time there on the Sea of Galilee. Anybody in here a lake person? You just love the lake. If you love the lake, you have something in common with Jesus because he was a lake person. He loved. The lake. If he lived in modern day times, he probably would have water skied, okay? So, well, he wouldn't really need to water ski. He could walk on the water, right? So anyhow, uh, he loved the lake. And so the crowd is pressing in to hear him teach God's Word, but there's a problem because he doesn't have a sound system. And so you can hear me really well right now because I'm talking, but Jesus comes up with a solution in verse 2 it says he saw two boats on the edge of the lake and the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets and so he got one into one of the boats which belonged to Simon and asked him to put it out a little from land and then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat so what he did was he created a natural sound system he would go out in the boat his voice would carry over the water and the people would be able to hear what he was teaching so he borrows this boat from this guy by the name of Simon. Now imagine the scene. Jesus is sitting in the boat on this tranquil lake. The crowd is gathered on the shore. Jesus is teaching God's Word. The Holy Spirit is working. People are hearing the truth of God's Word. Lives are are beginning to be shaken, and, and hearts are beginning to be changed. And there's Simon and the other fishermen over to the side, And they are cleaning, they are repairing, washing their nets. So they have all their gear. And you've probably seen this, you know, people just kind of going through all their gear, getting ready. And and the Bible says in verse 4 that when Jesus had finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Simon is a professional fisherman. This is what he does to put food on the table. Simon was also an individual that was a natural leader. He had a magnetic personality. When Simon was around, people followed him. He was fun-loving. Think of somebody in your life that when you're around that person, they're always making you laugh. There's always going to be fun. There's always fun to be found when you're around them because that's just their natural personality bent. Simon was also an individual that was a passionate individual. Simon didn't live in his head. He lived in his heart. And and this was one of his strengths. It was also something about him that sometimes got him in trouble. Uh, His passion uh, created a lot of fun times, but it also defined some of his impetuousness and some of his struggles in life. He wrestled with pride. He wrestled with racism. And he was frustrated. He was frustrated by the society in which he was living. Professional fisherman. This is what he did. I enjoy fishing, but I have a problem with fishing. I'm not very good at it, and so I like to go out and fish, but I'm, I'm pretty used to catching nothing. Maybe it's because I fish in the neighborhood pond. I need to go someplace where there's really fish, but, but I'm not very good at fishing. Peter, though, is a professional fisherman. He's used to catching fish. Although the Bible says that he had fished all night, And he had caught nothing. And so that morning, whenever he rose into shore, he's frustrated. He's tired. And then he's over here cleaning his net, getting ready to go home, getting ready to sleep. And Jesus asks if he can borrow his boat to preach from. And so Jesus sits in his boat, preaches the entire message. Simon's sitting there listening to the message And then after going through all of this, the carpenter, Jesus, starts giving Simon, the fisherman, lessons in how to fish. Now, this would be like me telling Stacy after she's, Stacy's my wife, by the way, Stacy, after she's been up all night long with a crying baby, have you tried singing to him? Maybe maybe he's hungry. You know, I would most definitely get the look. If I, you know, I, it wouldn't go well at that point. So here's Jesus the carpenter telling the fisherman how to fish. So he responds in verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night long and, and caught nothing, but at your word I'll let down the net. So notice Simon pretty well admits we're tired, we're discouraged, and I'm skeptical. But Simon was also obedient, and he calls Jesus by the term master here. It's a term of reverence, a term of respect. Simon had witnessed the power of Jesus already. Earlier in Jesus' life, he had healed Simon's mother-in-law, and because of that, there was a recognition of who Jesus is and his power. And so Simon had faith in Jesus' word. At your word, I will do this. Yet there's also this little insinuation, you better know what you're talking about, okay, because I'm tired, I'm skeptical, and you're telling me I'm supposed to fish on. Now, what Simon didn't realize was that God was about to interrupt his life in a drastic way. You see, Simon had reached a point in his life where things were beginning to slow down, where he wasn't growing very much. He had his fishing business. He had his family, he had his friends, had his life group, had his synagogue, had his routine, had his opinions about the nation, about society, and he had his frustrations. Realistically, at this point in his life, he was pretty set up. He could live a nice, quiet life on the Sea of Galilee. He'd probably live and die. He would catch a few fish, enjoy some laughs. He would cook up some good meals, and two generations later, only genealogy buffs would even know his name. This was his life. But then Jesus decided to interrupt his life. And so in verse 6, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that, so full that they began to sink. Jesus had turned Simon from a business failure into a business success. But notice how God works here. First of all, God, Jesus, interrupted Simon's life with a simple command. Take your boat out. Go fishing. Simple command. Simon could have disobeyed, but instead, number two, he pushed through. Pushed through his frustrations, pushed through his fatigue, pushed through his skepticism, and he obeyed. Thirdly, God then blessed Simon beyond what he could ever imagine. Fourth, Simon's blessings overflowed to his partners in the other boats. Not only did God fill up Simon's nets, but He filled up Simon's fishing buddy's nets as well. And then fifth, Jesus had even bigger plans than fishing for all of them. You see, what God was doing there was not about economics. What God was doing there was much more than just filling the nets with fish. Jesus had interrupted their lives because Jesus had something that He wanted their lives to be a part of. So in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Now notice a couple things here. Whenever he encounters God, his first reaction is to fall to his knees. People, People sometimes say, well, what would you do if you encountered God well I would ask him this and I would wonder this well throughout the Bible whenever people encountered the angels of the Lord they fell to their knees in fear and here Simon recognizes his insufficiency in the presence of Jesus and this tough rough strong fisherman falls to his knees and he says go away from me for I am a sinful man it reminds me of Isaiah when he he appeared when he saw the angel of the Lord I'm a sinful man, Lord. I do not deserve to be in your presence. Verse 9 says, For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they took, and so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Verse 8, the Bible refers to Simon as Simon Peter. You're probably more familiar with Simon as the Apostle Peter. Peter comes from a Greek word, Petros. It means rock. Sometimes you see Peter's name as Cephas. I'm sorry, my windscreen broke on the mic, so my my words are popping today. We'll get a new one next week. Uh, Cephas is an Aramaic word which means stone. And Jesus looked at this man, Simon, this impetuous man who was passionate and kind of went back and forth in life and his opinions and his wisdom Tended to float with the winds of opinion. And Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to turn this man Simon into Peter. I'm going to turn him into a rock of a man that I can use for my glory. And so when we get to verse 8, this story is no longer about catching fish. This story is now about God radically kick-starting Peter into a new life. God has a habit of interrupting our lives when we don't expect it. And he turns moments in the natural world into supernatural realities. Peter is overwhelmed by it all. He recognizes that he's not in the presence of a good teacher. He's not just in the presence of a respected master. Peter says, Jesus, he falls before him and says, Lord. Peter recognizes he's in the presence of God. And Jesus looks at him and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What I have for you is not something that you need to be scared of. My plans for you are not bad. And then he tells Peter, from now on, you'll be catching people. I'm changing your career. I'm changing your life's mission. You're no longer just about catching fish, my man. Now you're going to be about catching people. So verse 11 says, Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. I think they left the fish even. It says they left everything. Left their equipment, left their boats, left their fish. We're just going to follow after this guy, Jesus, see where it takes us. Not a bad life philosophy. I think I'll follow after Jesus, see where he takes me. As many as seven of the twelve disciples were fishermen, simple men who had their lives interrupted by the power of God, and they went from chasing business success to pursuing spiritual significance. Rather than living their days wrapped in frustration, tolerating what society had become, they lived their days captured by the story of God, and they shared a message of love and hope. And if you look at these men's lives that are mentioned here in this story, God used these guys. Here we are over 2,000 years later talking about them talking about their story, people remember what they did because what they did had significance. They didn't just catch fish, they caught people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God used these men to establish the early churches that formed the heart of Christianity. These men were used by God to radically change the world. What would you do if God interrupted your life today? What would you do? You're sitting here listening to a sermon, doing your best to live your life, doing your best to keep all the balls up in the air. But what if God desires more? What if God has a story for your life that you've never envisioned and you've never written? What if God is wanting to stretch you? What if God is wanting to grow you? What if God is wanting to reform the story of you into the story of God? What if he's interrupting your life? Vince Smith, a member of our church here at Murphy Road, he's also the director of the Collin Baptist Association. He gives his life for ministry. It wasn't always that way in Vince's life. He graduated from Tulane University with a degree in business and then went into the Navy. And he started climbing the ranks of the Navy very, very quickly. was a direct report to the Admiral. He became a Lieutenant Commander on a nuclear submarine, was trained in nuclear engineering. At night, he would drive the submarine underneath the ocean. His future was very, very bright. And then one day beneath the Arctic ice, his submarine collided with a Russian submarine. It had the potential to be an international crisis. Someone once asked Vince, have you ever seen the movie The Hunt for Red October? He laughed and said, I kind of lived it. For a week, they were trapped under the ice in their submarine, and they didn't know if they were going to live or die, and it was during that week that God interrupted his life. Vince had become a Christian as a young man, but he was drifting from the Lord during his Navy years, and that day, God interrupted his life and began showing him that the story that he was writing was different than the story that Vince had written. Vince wound up resigning his commission there in the Navy, going to Fort Worth, Texas, and attending the world's greatest seminary, Southwestern Seminary. And uh, then he graduated there and became a pastor in Austin, and today is serving as a missionary here in our own county. He was living his life, and then one day, God interrupted. Marcella Callan, she was here in the 945 service, her and her husband, Jeff and their their family. They've attended here for several years. One day a few years ago, she was sitting in a sermon like this, and she was eight and a half months pregnant with uh, baby Keegan. He's now a little boy growing up in this church. Just a normal Sunday. And during that Sunday, the Holy Spirit spoke to her heart, and the Spirit revealed to her that she needed to be baptized, She had been fighting that in her own life, and the Holy Spirit just spoke to her very clearly and said, you need to take that step, you need to be baptized. So she made an appointment with me, and uh, Marcel and her husband Jeff sat down with me back in the room back here at the back of this area, and it was on Wednesday afternoon, and she told me about it. I was like, great, this is fantastic, would love to baptize you, I'm excited uh, that you're going forward in this, and in my mind I thought, well, she'll be baptized after the baby was born. She said, no. I'm going to be baptized this Sunday. I was like, but I'm not sure about that. She's like, no, I'm going to be baptized this Sunday. And so we said, yes, ma'am. So, so what we decided was that Jeff would get in the water with her, and I'd be behind the wall, and we'd baptize her, and we'd be real careful, and we would get her underneath the water. And so that Sunday came. And, and, uh, and we took her down beneath the water, and we got Marcella under the water. You say, well, last, did you baptize an infant that day? No, because we got Marcella under the water, but the baby stayed up above. You know, there, we, you know I thought about splashing water there, but that would be sprinkling. So, but but we, we got her baptized. She was obedient, and she followed the Lord. He interrupted her life, and she said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. And I'll never forget that day that she was baptized because it was a testimony of obedience. Buddy Taylor, he's a hard working man. Throughout his life he never had much, still doesn't have much. He drove heavy machinery. I grew up with Buddy's sons in the youth group, and their dad never really came to church, but one Sunday he decided to come to church and that Sunday God got a hold of his life. God interrupted him and I I never I won't forget it when he walked the aisle there at Victory Baptist Church, came down to talk to the pastor, who, by the way, was my dad And uh, that Sunday, Buddy trusted in Jesus as his Savior. And he started coming every single week. Eventually, Buddy wound up quitting construction, and he went to work for the church. He's the maintenance man there at Victory Baptist Church. He's been doing it now for over 20 years. Every week, week in and week out, he makes sure that the buildings are clean and ready for the church to come and worship and have a nice place to worship the Lord. One of the greatest tragedies of life is when you quit growing, when you stop growing. You see, if you're not growing, you don't have anything to give. I see, I see when people stop growing and they stop living their life and they just start existing. And when that happens, you start losing your significance and life starts losing its flavor and life just becomes small and mundane And you start getting absorbed in things that you can't change that really don't matter. You start thinking that all of life is this news story that you have really no control over. That little squirrel in the backyard becomes a major component of your life. And life just becomes small and you begin to wrap yourself up in the boundaries of your choices and you begin to tolerate things that you can change. And your life begins to lose its significance and its power. God loves you too much to allow you just to drift through the one and only life that He's given you. And so there are these moments in life where He interrupts. Sometimes those moments are huge. Sometimes those moments result in a whole new life. Sometimes those moments result in an entire trajectory being changed in your life. Sometimes those moments are small. There are moments where God speaks to you and says, this needs to change. I want to grow you here. Hey, you can do something about that, but you're not doing anything about it. This is my call. Will you answer it? Whether large or small, when God interrupts, it forces us to a point of decision. Will I follow Him or will I retreat to my fears? Will I obey or not? So just let me ask you the question. Is God interrupting your life? Is He bringing you to a standstill point? Is He leading you to a season where He wants to grow you? Will you follow Him? Or will you retreat to your fears? God wants to turn the story of you into the story of God. And your life can have significance that outlives you and lasts for all eternity when you follow Him. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads? The musicians are going to come. It may be that God is interrupting your life today like he interrupted Buddy's life. Maybe God's telling you that today is the day that you need to become a a believer in Christ. Just like Nicholas and Zane testified their faith in Christ today, that's where you are. And so with your head bowed, I would encourage you to call out to God and say to God, Lord, I am a sinner. I have done things that are wrong. I ask for your forgiveness. I place my faith today in Jesus Christ, and I'm trusting in Him as my Savior, as my Lord. I'm asking you to interrupt my life, to invade my soul, and to change me from the inside out. I'm asking you to make this my day of salvation. If that's where you are today, I encourage you to call out to God in the name of Jesus. I would love to be a pastor to you, to be a friend to you, to encourage you however I may. And so I would ask you to let me know that you've made this decision. I'd like to pray with you and help you with that. I'll be here at the front during this next song and I'll be here after the service as well. Maybe God's interrupting your life in some other way today. Could be the call to obedience. The call to baptism. Perhaps there are some things in your life that just need to change and you know it. But you've been fighting God about it. And today as we looked at the story of Simon Peter, God has interrupted your soul. And he's told you something needs to change. Maybe you've allowed your world to get so small that your life has lost its flavor and significance. And today you need to reconnect your life to things which are eternal, to things that really matter. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church and for these people. It is such an honor to call them friends, to be their pastor. I pray, Father, that you might show us your truth in a very real way today, and if you're interrupting our lives, may we follow you. Lord, I pray that we might be growing and giving. Pray, Father, we might not resist the moments of stretching because it's in that stretching that maturity comes. So help us, Lord, to follow you rather than to retreat in our fears. In Jesus' name we pray.